The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. Exodus chapter 20, Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them. Or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We're looking tonight specifically at the fifth commandment for the second time, Honor your father and mother. Last time we began to understand what is commanded in this commandment. The word honor means giving glory or weight. Uh, Specifically, honor to your parents. Uh, It is a subset we saw last time of the honor and glory we are to give to God himself. We saw that in Matthew 15 as Jesus cited the failure of the Jews of his day to honor their parents with their money, specifically their aged parents, I think, through a tradition called Korban. As a result of this, they did not honor God. And you can see in Jesus' uh, mind, these people honor me with their lips, he said, but their hearts are far from me. And so he links together the honoring of parents with the honoring of God. And so that's the way I see this commandment. Uh, Our honoring of our parents is a subset, a smaller set of our honoring of the God who put them over us. And so these are the things that we looked at last time. Now, in order to understand honor, there are many different ways we can see it in Scripture. Uh, We see it, I think, especially uh, not just in the way that we honor God with worship, but I think more especially the way that we honor other human beings. Our parents are human beings. Uh, They're not God. We would not worship our parents. Uh, But we do give them honor. And so uh, we can see a certain kind of pattern of honor. An example of this you might see in the book of Esther. Take a minute and look in Esther chapter 6. Esther is just a marvelous book uh, concerning the providence of God, and we studied it recently in our staff devotions and just uh, did a cursory uh, just move through the first five chapters uh, of Esther and then into chapter 6 and 7. But in Esther 6, we see... Just, an, I think, an insight into what honor is. 
Esther 6, it says, verse 1, that night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthan and Teresh, uh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway and who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Mordecai was the one who had saved the king's life by exposing the plot. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had arrest, uh, erected for him. Uh, his attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have him bring, uh, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with the royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded. Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Now you might wonder, why in the world are we reading this concerning this issue of honor your father and mother? I am not recommending that you rent a horse and get a purple robe and put your parents up on the horse and parade them through the streets saying, this is what is done for the parents that I'm delighting to honor. But I think instead we do learn something. It has to do with some kind of honor or privilege given that the society recognizes. And in that society, that would have been a great honor and a great privilege we can see other examples uh, throughout the scripture. For example, in Exodus 28, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, but there it is commanded, make priestly garments for your brother Aaron to give him honor and dignity as the high priest. So there, as he's wearing his priestly robes, he has a certain kind of honor invested in him as a priest. Uh, there are seats of honor. For example, in Jeremiah 52, uh, the king of Babylon, it says, spoke kindly to Jehoiachin, uh, who is the king of the Jews uh, of Judah, and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of other kings who were with him in Babylon. So the fact that he was seated in a certain position with his seat a little bit higher up than the other kings was an honor to him. Uh, there are certain privileges. For example, Moses said to Pharaoh in Exodus 8 9, I leave to you the honor of setting the time uh, for me to pray for you and your officials so that uh, your house may be rid of the frogs. So there's an honor there in, in getting to choose the time that the prayer will be offered. There are other uh, dramatic displays. For example, uh, concerning Solomon, uh, it says the Lord established... Uh, sorry, uh, in First Kings 3.13 it says, I will give you, after Solomon asked for wisdom, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. You can think of the reign of Solomon, all of the trappings of splendor and glory with his reign, the wisdom, the wealth, the reputation, all of these things added up to honor for Solomon. He was honored by them. God honored him. Uh, we also see um, social customs and display. Uh, displays. For example, Joseph's brothers, as they were honoring the mysterious official 
uh, who had come out to deal with them. They didn't know it was Joseph, but it was. It says, after they came out and were introduced, they bowed low to the ground and paid him honor. Why? Because he held their lives in his hand. And so it had to do with a, a certain physical posture of bowing down and of reverence given to this uh, official that was standing in front of them. And perhaps even concerning burial. Um, it says in Second Chronicles 32:33, Hezekiah rested with his fathers and was buried on the hill where the tombs of David's descendants are. All Judah and the people of Jerusalem honored him when he died. So it was, there was a big funeral. There, was, there were outward trappings of, and displays of honor and of his reputation. Uh, words were, were well spoken of him. He was uh, buried with full honors. So all of these things, I think, add up to an understanding of how one human being would honor another. Um, and this is exactly what God has commanded children to do for their parents. Not any one of these things, but it really has to do with an attitude. Uh, Jesus spoke negatively of the scribes and Pharisees. They loved the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They loved to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. Well, these are all trappings of honor concerning the office and the position. There's nothing wrong with them, but there was something wrong with the scribes and Pharisees living for that and craving it and wanting it and putting it above uh, fidelity to God's word and, and love for his people. But those kind of trappings of honor, that's the very way that one human being shows honor to another. This is what God's commanded children to do for their parents. To give them preferment, to have them go through the door first, have them have the more significant portions at dinner, uh, to, to call them uh, by titles of honor like mother or father or mom and dad rather than by their first name, um, to, to respect them with, with the way that they greet them, the way that they speak of them, the way that they reverence them. And so the command that's given to us is that we should do this for both our mother and our father. Not just the father and not just the mother. But we are to honor both of them equally and to uh, show uh, reverence for them. That is what is commanded. Now, what is promise concerning this command? Well, it says, honor your father and mother so that uh, you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The Apostle Paul calls this in Ephesians the first command with a promise. Uh, none of the other commands up to this point have a direct promise connected to it. But here there is a promise. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. So long life in the land is the, uh, is the promise. Now this is a common Old Covenant promise. You're going to see it again and again in the Old Covenant, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Basically, God is going to say again and again, Obey these commands so that you may live long in the land. So this is going to end up being a very common covenant blessing. But it's, this is the first time it's given. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is, is giving you. Okay, so the promise of long life <clears throat> is extended to all the covenant of God. Deuteronomy 4.40 says, Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And in Deuteronomy 5.33 it says, Walk in all the way the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. But what is the connection specifically between honoring parents and long life? Well, in Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47, it says, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, namely by the words, by these words, 
you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now understand Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47 upholds the covenant, the word of God, as the very lifeline of the people of God in the Old Testament land, in the land of promise. And it was up to the parents to commit the words to the children. The children didn't come into the world knowing the words. They didn't know the commands of God. They came into the, into the world ignorant of those commands. The commands, according to Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47, are not just idle or light or frivolous words. They were the very lifeline for their continued existence in the promised land. And so parents must know the words. They must know the commands of God. And they must pass them on to their children. Parents were responsible to teach these commands to their children. As it says in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, These commands, these are the commands, decrees and laws, the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Does that sound familiar? So that you may live long. These are the commands I give you so that you can live long. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So he's speaking there to the parents. These commands are to be upon your hearts. You are to impress them or sharpen them, as we've talked about before, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If basic obedience to parents was not established from the very beginning of the children's life, all the other commands would fall apart. This was really the beginning of the whole thing. The children do not come into the world knowing God or anything about God. They're very physical. (laughs) They're bodies. I'm not saying they don't have souls. Of course they have souls. But they really present themselves as very physical beings. Okay? They have basic physical needs. They don't know much. Little by little, they get to know the physical world. And then beyond that, they get to know the spiritual world behind it. And so the very first thing that they're going to encounter is the loving ministrations of their parents, caring for their physical needs. And by that, eventually, faith is born. And that's how it works. And therefore, this command, honor your father and mother, is first on the hearts of the parents, not on the hearts of the children. The parents need to understand it. They need to know why it's so important for their own children to honor them. They certainly need to honor their own parents now that they're of an age to understand that command. So by their role modeling of how they treat their parents, they role model for their children how it's to be done. But the parents need to understand this. And this is so important these days. I don't think parents these days understand how important this is. Therefore, they want to be chums. They want to be buddies with their children. They want to be everything but their parents in some cases, it seems. And therefore, this commandment is first to be understood, I think, by the parents not by the children. Why? Because they don't understand any commandment from God. They don't come home from the hospital understanding them. But they must know this one and then all the others that come after. And so they must honor their parents. And, and so this establishment, I know it seems a little odd. It's like, please, get me a horse, get me a purple robe and set me on it and walk me around the streets and delight to honor me. It seems a little strange. Why would we want our children to honor us? We want to serve them. We want to be deferential to them. 
But it doesn't work that way. You, in effect, as parents, stand in the place of God. And how they treat you is eventually how they're going to treat God and and all of their obedience to his commands. So eventually, you know, you talk about what's promised here in this command, long life. Eventually, the death penalty awaited rebels. Literally, the death penalty. If they don't learn how to obey the commands of God in the old covenant, they would be put to death. And so this is a very uh, physical and literal uh, promise. If you don't want to be executed, or you want your children to be executed as rebels, teach them to obey right from the start. It says in Deuteronomy 21, 18 and following, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. So there goes long life on the earth, right? Honor your father and mother. If you don't, that may happen to you. Now, we're not in the old covenant any longer. There's not the death penalty uh, per se for uh, rebellion. Although God himself may intervene, as he does in certain places in the Old Testament, and directly put rebellious sons to death. He does that from time to time. Uh, No future is ever promised for any rebel. God doesn't owe any of us, even if we're obedient and submissive to his commands. doesn't owe any of us tomorrow. None of us knows if we're even going to be alive tomorrow. But God may uh, intervene and put a rebellious son or daughter to death. And so you can see the, what's promised here. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. It's the first command uh, with a promise. But more generally, just in terms of a general lifestyle, long life is a blessing connected with the way of wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, it says, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Listen, this is Proverbs 3.16. Long life is in her right hand. You see, you want to live long? Live a wise life. And that means be generally submissive, consistently submissive to the commands of God. The first and primary teachers of wisdom in the book of Proverbs are the parents. In Proverbs 1, 8, and 9, it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And so right from the start, what do you get when you come home from the hospital? You get mom and dad. And mom and dad need to understand this fifth commandment so that they can instruct their children to honor them and to obey them. All right, we've seen what is commanded. We've seen, secondly, what is promised connected to the command, long life. Third, why is the command so significant? I've already hinted at this. But realize the two great commandments that the Lord has given us. Commandment number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And secondly, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the essential nature of human life on earth is that constant physical provision is needed at the beginning of life. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Listen. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. What is Paul saying there? It was such a generally known principle. Parents save up their material possessions so that they can take care of their children's physical needs. That's what Paul's saying. And so I know very well when I have a baby that comes home from the hospital, I'm the father. I am to provide for the physical needs of that child. The basic basic uh, provision. 
God has ordained that human babies need more intervention and care than any other baby uh, of created beings on earth. I mean, have you ever seen like the horses and the other things? I mean, they're just, they're ready to go. You know, we've got some little birds in a nest nearby and it's not going to be long. How are they doing? Are they flying yet? We haven't seen them. You're not, we're not keeping up with them. Well, we're not mom and dad to the birds. Um, God's provided that. Um, but they're growing quickly. I mean, they've got their feathers there. I mean, they come in look, into the world looking kind of ugly. Have you ever seen like little tiny baby robins and all that? They're pretty scroungy looking things. Um, but then little by little, they grow in feathers and whatever. And it's not going to be long before they'll be out and they'll be free. Very, very short period of time. But children come into the world very, very needy for a long, long, long time. Long time. Long, long, long time. And so they continue to need training. They need physical provision. They need all kinds of things. Families are responsible for this provision. But specifically, this command is important because how will you, as a human being, obey any command if you don't obey this one? If you throw off honoring your parents, will you honor God Is it even possible for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't honor your parents, if you don't care for them? In effect, God says in 1 John, How can you love God and honor him whom you have not seen if you will not do the same for your parents whom you have seen? Obviously, he doesn't say that directly, but he does just speaking generally about a brother. If anyone says, I love God but hates his brother he's a liar because how can you love God whom you have not seen if you hate your brother whom you have well you just take that whole idea and connect it specifically to parents will you obey God will you submit to God if you will not obey and submit to your parents no you won't and so basically what's ultimately at stake is not just long life on the earth but eternity you see it is parents responsibility to evangelize their children And so if they throw off glad submission to their parents, what will become of their souls? What will happen before God on Judgment Day? That's the real question. Again and again, disobedience to parents is linked together with all kinds of other heinous sins. In Romans chapter 1, for example, it says in verse 29 and following, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Right there in the middle of a terrible list. And the very thing that we take so lightly these days, namely parental authority and disrespect for parents and all that, is right in the center of a list along with murder and all kinds of other things. And why? Because it's the first step in the life of a rebel. What's the final step? In the life of a rebel, condemnation, eternal condemnation at the judgment seat of God. And so therefore, it's vital for parents to understand this, and it's vital for children to accept it and to take it in. Now, the beautiful thing about children is that they come into the world ready to be led, and that's a good thing. So that, therefore, I've, and meditating about this command today, I've thought again and again, and I say, I realize that this command is first and foremost for the parents to understand. We need to get it through our heads how important it is that our children honor us so that they can ultimately love and honor God. Okay, well, why is the command difficult? We've seen what is commanded. We've seen what is promised. Um, We've seen the third thing that I don't remember. What is it? Um, But uh, uh, why it's significant, why it's important. Fourthly, why is it so difficult? Well, why is it so difficult? Well, there's one little word, sin. 
It is difficult for children to obey parents for two basic reasons. Because the children are sinners and because the parents are sinners. And both of them are significant in this question. The doctrine of original sin is taught in Romans 5.19. It says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many were made righteous. Romans 5.19. That's the doctrine of original sin. So actually, children don't come into the world pure as the driven snow. They come into the world essentially rebels. They just need a command. They need to understand a command so that they can rebel. Okay, once they understand the command, then they can rebel. Until they understand the command, they can't rebel. But once they understand a command, then they are able to rebel. And so they are. Uh, I've, I found this uh, police study. Um, uh, it was cited by Jim Elif, a police study in San Francisco on juvenile delinquency. And I found this very interesting. And some of you have heard this before. Quote, every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants, his bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous, were he not so helpless. He is dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, and no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy every want, then every child would grow up a criminal, a killer, a thief, and a rapist. Now, you might say, that's a little harsh, don't you think? Well, look around the world in which we live. How do we explain the condition of the world? If you take a, a coin and flip it and it comes up heads every single time, wouldn't you think something's wrong with the coin? Something's tricky, something's strange going on? If you roll a dice and it comes up six or one or something every single time, would you not want to see the dice and inspect it and be sure it was legitimate? Every single time a child is born in this world, they eventually become sinners without fail. How do we explain this except this doctrine of original sin? And so, therefore, the children come into the world with a basic disposition to disobey the fifth commandment. They're not going to honor their father and mother. And except for a work of God's grace, they will continue in that. So, because children are essentially uh, sinful, that's why this command is different, difficult. The second reason is that parents are essentially sinful. Parents are essentially sinful. That makes it difficult. We are not the best role models have you ever noticed that your children actually pick up on your sinful traits a lot easier than your righteous ones and your good ones? Yeah, I do that, but I also like, I have quiet times and I pray and I do this and I do that and I go to church regularly and I, yes, yes, yes. But then there's all these sin patterns and boy, do they pick them up quickly and easily. And what a shame it is to parents to see that. We have a good example of this in the life of Noah. Turn, if you would, in Genesis 9. And look there in Genesis 9. Parents are basically, looking at verses 20 through 26, parents are hard to obey because they make mistakes. Parents are hypocrites. They don't live up to their standards. They're not perfect role models. They don't have perfect wisdom. They're sometimes overly harsh and dictatorial. Other times underly so. They don't, they don't uh, establish boundaries and keep them. Sometimes they're aloof or detached or withhold love or too permissive. Uh, let the kids run wild. And kids are especially attuned to parental flaws, aren't they? 
So that's another reason why this is a very difficult command to make work. Look at Genesis 9. The principle is still established in Scripture. Genesis 9, 20 through 26. It says there, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of his some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Now, what a shameful picture here. And I told you again and again, the Bible presents even its heroes in a very honest light concerning their sin. And so there he is, drunk and uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Cain, and the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. Uh, I think this is a very important interchange here on this matter of honoring your parents. Your parents aren't sinless. They're sinners. We're sinners as parents. And yet, they must honor us anyway. Do you see what what, uh, Shem and Japheth did to honor Noah at his absolute lowest point recorded in Scripture? The lowest point, drunk and uncovered in his tent, they still honored him as their father. And that is, I think, a very vital illustration for us. Children must obey and honor their parents. It says in 1 Peter 2.18, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. The order must be established, even if the parents are not the best, even if they're sinners, which we are. So that's why the commandment is difficult, because the children come into the world sinners and because the parents have continued in sin. What, finally, are the godly limitations of the command? Well, we are not to honor our parents above God. Remember I said that honoring of parents is a subset of the honoring we do for God. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, parental authority, therefore, is not absolute. Parental authority is not absolute. It says in uh, Acts 4.19, Peter and John speaking to governmental authority, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. So we are not to honor our parents by disobeying God's command. This becomes especially poignant when parents are not believers in Christ and forbid you to follow Christ. And I know that those that work overseas, as we did in Japan, have to teach very clearly, as Jesus said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Do you understand? Jesus came, he said, to divide a father and his son, a daughter and her mother, a daughter-in-law and mother-in-law. Why? Because not everybody's going to be a believer. And so our first allegiance comes to Christ and to God. We must honor him above all things. And so therefore, uh, parental authority is not absolute. A second kind of slight understanding of this is that parental authority changes at adulthood, especially at the marriage of children. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And Jesus also said to his mother, respectfully, when she wanted him to perform that first miracle at Cana in Galilee, woman, what do I have to do with you? My time has not yet come. And so, in effect, he's saying, this is my ministry. I'm going to run it as my father directs me and as he leads I'm not going to be doing your, your bidding uh, throughout this. I have my own understanding of this, of this charge. And so Jesus very lovingly and respectfully 
put her in a proper place so that he could carry out his ministry as God led him to do as he was an adult. And so there's some adjustments that occur at adulthood and at marriage. To sum up, the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given. The church needs to lead the way in this. Our society, our culture has lost this. We don't know what it means to honor parents. By the strength and the power of God, by his spirit, uh, we can obey this commandment. What's at stake? Well, not just our children's souls, but also generations of obedience beyond. As we set a good example for them and as they follow also a godly heritage for generations to come. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.